0: Hear now the word of God from Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around there, there was no longer room for them, not even in the front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A group of five men make their way through the crowd. Normally, they would be better mannered, nodding, smiling, and begging the pardon of those whom they bumped. Not today. The men use the momentum of their cargo to bulldoze the people in front of them aside. Time is of the essence because the man that they are carrying on a stretcher feels like he's getting heavier. This trip feels longer than the one they make daily when they drop off their paralyzed friend at the corner of a busy street so he can collect alms from kind passers-by. At the end of the day, they bring him home. They've taken that route many times, but now the destination is different. They're headed to the rooftop. Not to join a soiree, but the opposite because no one is there. They want to take their friend to see Jesus, but there is such a great crowd, there is no way they can get there. When they bump into people, they don't need to apologize, because the offended person will momentarily see that yelling at four individuals helping a paraplegic would be poor form. They can just mutter under their breath. From where did this great crowd come? Mark reports Jesus' first miracle happened in Capernaum with the healing of a man with an unclean spirit. He goes on to inform us in Mark chapter 1, verses 28 and 39. At once, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. It wasn't until Jesus healed a leper that Jesus' fame really took off. Mark chapter 1, 45 tells us, But the leper went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. It is during this mania that our story takes place. This crowd is from Capernaum and from all over the region of Galilee. Among the crowd are Pharisees and teachers of the law. Luke's version of this story provides even more context, as he writes in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, One day, while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. They are out to investigate Jesus, and they have not yet determined him to be dangerous. While Jesus is at home, this crowd, ignoring the occupancy restrictions, squeezes in as much as they could, and those who didn't make the cut jostle to be as close to the front doors as possible. Needless to say, there would be no way a group of four men carrying a paralytic could get through. The story tells us they got him to Jesus through a hole in the roof. But how did he end up going to Jesus in the first place? We've established that everyone has heard of Jesus. Did the paralytic want to go? Probably. But how would he go? by asking the fellas that help him daily to go above and beyond and somehow take him to the town's biggest, most crowded gathering? To me, it's more likely that the four friends heard that Jesus was in town and believed Jesus could heal their bud. It is easy to imagine that the paralytic was reluctant to go as he was resigned to his life and did not wish to draw attention to himself in this way. Just let me be. I'll keep quietly doing my thing. But the friends were adamant. Maybe the paralytic's hopes grew as he saw his friends so determined only to be dashed when he saw the sea of people blocking the way of the healer. If by chance the friends lacked faith, this is where the journey would have ended. They would have returned home. But they did not. Hope rose again when one of the friends suggested that they head to the roof. To do what? wondered the paralytic. You'll see. As they scrambled, looking for gardening tools and laundry line, stomping on the sun-baked clay to make a hole, they secured the paralytic to a rope and lowered him into the house, filled with baffled witnesses. Mark chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 describes what happened. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. As angelic as these friends had acted, what did they hope to achieve? What was their expectation? They expected Jesus to heal their friend, to make him walk. This is reasonable, Because before this gathering, Mark reported that Jesus had been going all over the region healing people. Their reasonable expectation is precisely what makes Jesus' response that much more surprising. Instead of saying, stand up, take your mat, and go home, Jesus says, son, son. Your sins are forgiven. Instead of producing joy at the hearing of the good news, the proclamation offends and confuses. Mark chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 captures the sentiment. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive but God alone? For the scribes and Pharisees, the business of forgiveness belongs to God and to the leaders of the temple. To them, Jesus is neither God nor is he one of them. That Jesus purveys forgiveness encroaches on their exclusive rights to this product and thereby threatens their established economy. Jesus is getting dangerous but this does not surprise Jesus Mark chapter 2 8 and 9 at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves he said to them why do you raise such questions in your hearts which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or say stand up Take your mat and walk. Although we can make the argument, given that only God can forgive, to say your sins are forgiven is blasphemy. Blasphemy is a crime punishable by death. So maybe it is not so easy to say. But... The pervasive sentiment is that it is easier to say, you are forgiven, than say, stand up. Because if the paralytic can't stand up, someone's going to have egg on their face. Whereas if you say, you are forgiven, and somehow fade the death penalty, no one can really say, there is visible proof that the individual has or has not been forgiven. The assumption Jesus is working with is that it is easier to say your sins are forgiven. That makes saying stand up and take your mat and walk harder to say. But Jesus goes and says it. Mark chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 explains, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up, and he immediately took the mat, and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus' strategy is to demonstrate to the crowd that if he can do the harder thing, then they can rest assured that he can surely do the easier thing. Dad, can, can you juggle two balls? Juggle two balls? Here, give me, give me three of them. You think I can juggle too? When the paralytic stood up, picked up his mat, and walked out to go home, the crowd that parted, allowing this man through, was filled with people in awe, people praising God, people confused, and people getting to the point of plotting murder. Using the literary technique called intercalation, similar to the way he used it in chapter 5's healing of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter and the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, Mark allows us to experience two different situations simultaneously. What kind of relationship did the four friends have with the paralytic? Did they grow up with him? Did they witness the tragedy that took away the use of his legs? Were they the cause and forever trapped by guilt and shame? Did they always know him as a paraplegic and struck up a friendship due to his alluring personality and humor? Mark is silent about the context of their relationship. What Mark does tell us is that the friends had faith in Jesus. We know this because he tells us Jesus saw their faith. To be sure, the word in Greek is plural. Jesus did not see his faith, he saw their faith. This necessitates that the faith this necessitates the faith of two or more individuals. This implies that the paralytic's personal faith alone is not The focus, the plural group, could include the paralytic and one other friend, but it also leaves the space for the paralytic to not have any faith and only the friends having it. It is the faith of the friends that Jesus sees and moves him to respond. What a powerful space that is created. Often, in Protestant Christian life, personal faith in Christ is emphasized, and rightly so. However, it might be overemphasized to the point that everything hinges on me and my faith. Today's story reminds us that there are times and seasons when we lack the faith, ability, and resources to believe. When we are seemingly blocked from access to Christ. In such times, the faith of others serves as a way to bring us to the presence of Jesus when we can't make it ourselves. Fred Craddock observes Here is the church in miniature, a person being sustained by the faith of others when his or her own condition, physical, spiritual, or mental, is at least temporarily far short of sufficient. Don't we need to hear that? Having gone through the isolation caused by the pandemic, navigating through the post-vaccination guidance have left many in a place where they may lack faith. This story provides the invitation and validation for us to focus on faith in Jesus and offer to sustain those who are lacking. Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church exists to be the light. We share the hope and inspiration in Christ to those around us who need it the way we need it. Fifth Avenue exists to be leaven. We serve and equip people in order to uplift and transform lives. Fifth Avenue exists to be salt. We build up community and engage those around us. We are being friends to those who need sustaining until they can get to the presence of Jesus In being and living as the light, leaven, and salt, Jesus sees our faith just as Jesus saw the faith of the friends. Faith leads to action, and actions of the friends demonstrated their underlying faith. Overcoming obstacles and creatively, imaginatively, finding ways to help a friend encounter Christ. That's what moves Jesus. Simultaneously, we also relate with the paralytic. We deal with the lot and limitations life has given to us. We can complain and object, or we can be resigned and give up. We are left being judged by others for not trying hard enough or being pitied. And this is the world in which we live daily. People passing us by, judging, ignoring, or pitying us. When we encounter Jesus, we hope to hear, Be healed! Here is more beauty. Here is more money. Here is more fame. So that we can be happy again. But he doesn't say that to us. Instead, Jesus says, you are forgiven. Jesus tells us, we who are waiting for the healing, God is not mad at you. God loves you. Determined to make clear the message of forgiveness and his efficacy, Mark chapter 2, verse 10 captures Jesus' emphatic quote: But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The incarnate God in Jesus Christ demonstrates the importance of the physical and spiritual. By healing both body and soul. The healing takes place when the paralytic obeys Jesus' command to stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. I find it interesting that Jesus instructs the healed man to go home. I would have expected Jesus to say, stand up, leave your mat, and follow me. Why go home instead of following Jesus? I imagine it has to do with the fact that for many, home is a place that needs forgiveness. Where else do we experience such hurt that lasts for so long? To a man who has experienced the fullness of healing and forgiveness, Jesus directs him to take the mat that he no longer needs and bring it home with him. Perhaps the mat will help him remember where he once was so that he can move forward into a new future with new possibilities. The healed man who has been forgiven is free to forgive his family members just as he experienced it. You know, family members who might not let things of the past go. Family members who might not ever let you grow up and change who forever infantilize you. Forgiveness is now an option. More than that, it is now the inspired way of living for the former paralytic. The forgiveness the man brings into his home is a catalyst for transformation and begetting even more healing. During officer training a couple weeks ago, as an icebreaker, Everyone was instructed to say one word that summed up their relationship and experience with or what they loved about Fifth Avenue. Many meaningful and creative words were used. The word that struck the feels in me, making me go, hmm, good answer, was the word home. Fifth Avenue is home. What if we like the healed paralytic, are sent home to church? What would it be like to live a life of forgiveness, forgiving and being forgiven? If the scribes were right and only God can forgive, wouldn't the experience of being forgiven by others be an encounter with God? Wouldn't that be transformative Let's be a church. Let's be a home like that to which we are sent by Jesus. Coming out of the pandemic, in this post-vaccination world, whether we are being carried by friends or whether we are, being ca- or whether we are carrying the friends, being directed home to Fifth Avenue is good. It is a place we can forgive, be forgiven, and as a people healed and being healed, we can continue to be the light, leaven, and salt in New York City and beyond. All glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, following God's Spirit out into the world, may we go in grace, Go in peace. Go in God's love for us all. May the God of glory, the Lord of life, and the Spirit of truth be with you all. Amen.